Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. On tonight's show, I guess we're recording on a Friday night, uh, we will break down Florida's season-opening victories over Army and Boston College, preview Florida's Sunday home opener against the Stetson Hatters, and uh, just talk about our reflections on the two games that the Gators played in Bubbleville and uh, what's to come. Hope you guys enjoy the show. It's great to have basketball back, and I uh, hope the Gators beat the balls. Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. We have games to talk about, Eric. We do. I mean, we're coming to you, uh, recording right now on Friday afternoon. Uh, we thought for, you know, uh, m- more than a second or two that we might uh, we might be podcasting a little earlier because, you know, we said, hey, let's get these first two games out of the way. Uh, we'll break them down. We'll talk about them. But uh, it became very apparent early against Army that uh, we uh, we may have needed to podcast that night. Uh, luckily, the Gators pulled it out. Uh, but man, uh, what a content machine these Gators are uh, going from that start against Army to uh, to really flipping it around and, and playing really well against Boston College. Uh, just uh, just really good for the podcast, you know, not great for all our collective uh, hearts. Uh, but man, for podcast content, uh, just just tremendous. What, what, what are you thinking, Neil? Yeah, I mean, like if you had told me that at the first media timeout of the season, Florida would be behind 12 to 2, I would have said, man. UMass Lowell must be better than I thought. Um, but but and, and what, what, what would you have thought if you uh, knew that Florida used two timeouts in the first, you know, three minutes or whatever it was? Yeah, I, I would have thought, man, uh, Mike White listened to all of Eric's 2019-2020 season lectures about timeout <laughs> usage and just, like, took them to the extreme. Um, and then can we talk about, like, how – what was it, 1530-something to go, and uh, Keontae Johnson calls a timeout. No, 1440 left in the, in the first half. So Keontae's on the floor, calls a timeout. Like, I love the hustle. I love that he really wanted to value a possession with his team down 10 points with, like, 35 minutes to play in the game. <laughs> but I have never seen that. In all my years of watching college basketball, I've never seen a team – have one timeout left with 1440 to go in the first half. Yeah. Well, it's kind of interesting because uh, the idea of jumping on a loose ball, uh, knowing that it's going to get tied up and calling a timeout is, is very much a NBA strategy because in the NBA, once a team, uh, you know, once you win a jump ball, you know you're going to have the ball at the start of the fourth quarter and the other team is going to have it at the start of the second and the third. But uh, because of the way that the possession arrow works in college basketball, uh, the the idea of like saving a possession there isn't really the same because, yes, you get the ball there in that possession, but it means the possession arrow is flipped and that that could change, you know, that that, that changes who gets a possession later. So uh, I'm not a big fan of, and no one talks about this, but everyone sees this happen in the NBA. Guy dives on the floor, grabs a loose ball calls a timeout great play uh people see that in the nba and then they go do it in college now and it's like oh yeah great play but it's it's not the same because of the way the jump ball works so i'm actually going to say that you know 
I don't think that's a wise move. And I would also say anytime in the first half, if you've got the possession arrow uh, working the way that it does, um, uh, just with the way it works in college. Yeah. I, I don't know if I love that strategy. I would say I don't. And yeah, especially when it's your third timeout, that's uh, that's a little bit of a, of an exaggeration of my Florida. I should use their timeouts earlier takes from last year. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Like it's not a very good play. And, and I think, you know, it was just, it's one of those plays that, that like you said, you, you nailed it. It gets perceived as like, Hey man, this is a good play. Like he's just valuing possessions, but really he wasn't. And, and if Florida ends up with one timeout left for the last 34 minutes and 40 seconds of basketball, which at the time kind of seemed like, man, that could be really concerning because Florida's down 12 to after one media timeout and they fall behind 17, six at one point. Florida was actually behind in this game by as many as 12 points. Uh, it was 27 to 15 Army after a Tucker Blackwell layup uh, with nine minutes and 27 seconds to go in the first half. And, and what I'll say about that was, so at one point, uh, Castleton made a couple free throws and, and Alex King picked up his second foul. And that guy was kind of a problem uh, for Florida early. And it was like, okay, Florida's within five after the Castleton free throws with 11 minutes to go. And it's like, for as zany as the first nine minutes were, like, I actually thought, oh, all right, Florida's getting this under control, like, rather quickly, right? And then Quez Glover airballed a three-pointer, and Army went on a 7-0 run in, like, 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, they... and that was what I was like. That's the first time I think I texted Eric. I was like, what is happening? Yeah, I mean, that that's one of the things where there, you know, there were some ball handling mistakes. That's something that you definitely see with, you know, your, your rust, uh, your, your preseason or first game of the season. Uh, we haven't scrimmaged yet, or we, you know, we haven't been able to play an exhibition against another team. We haven't played any games. Uh, there's some of those things shooting, you know, shooting an air ball, rust, ball handling mistakes, rust, uh, picking up some of the, the lazy fouls they did, maybe a little bit of rust. Man, when it came to some of Florida's shot selection, I, I don't think you can blame that on rust, especially when it's some guys like Quez Glover who had a reputation last year of taking really bad shots, particularly in in, in transition where they hesitate, don't have good footing, and and shoot up a ill-advised attempt. So uh, those were the things that I would say were particularly frustrating against against Army because uh, yes, there were certainly some elements that I do think you could fairly fairly chalk up to this is a rusty team that hasn't been able to practice with their entire roster uh for various reasons uh some of it's rust but then yeah you you look at the you you look at the shot selection you look at some of the breakdowns on defense and it's like i I, like i I don't think you can blame this all on rust yeah i mean you really couldn't and and so like maybe we should kind of back up a little bit because when we got into this game we kind of want to talk about how bizarre the timeout thing was like, so the first 10 minutes are a little bit surreal and a little bit related to Russ, but there was also Eric this. So Florida wants to play fast. All right, fine. Uh, We can get into that, but Florida also didn't get to set up their press for a while because they couldn't score. But then when they did set up their press, uh, it was more or less, unequivocally disastrous to be just really blunt about it. 
Uh, I would say that's right. And uh, the thing was, I, I went back and looked at all the possessions. There wasn't uh, there wasn't as many points as I would have expected against the press, but there were some really, really open shots that that Army missed. Uh, in addition to uh, to the points they did get, but yeah, the the the, the press looked really poor. And uh, obviously, I spent most of the off season talking about how I don't know if I think that's going to be a good uh, a good strategy at the high major level. And it's like, well, Florida just played a low major team and didn't look good at all in the press and uh what what you know what what made the press a little bit more confusing is there's definitely a little there was a, definitely a few catastrophic failures where they just totally got blown up uh gave open a wide open three or they got into some tough cross matches uh and then got scored on that way uh the thing was uh, with with the way that they're pressing the best case scenario with the press is uh, they just slow the other team down and get nine or 10 seconds off the shot clock, which in a sport with a 30 second shot clock, that doesn't have, you know, huge value. If you, we're playing FIBA rules and it's, you know, 24 seconds and you can shave off 10 seconds of that, well, you know, th- then you're cooking. Well, and in, 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 with the way that Florida's pressing, it's not actively looking for steals. It's just looking to slow things down and, and take time off the shot clock. And, you know, Army took their time and, you know, the press worked well a couple of times. And then it's just like, well, now they've got, 20 seconds to run their offense and the, it ran really good. So it just felt like it was a little bit of a, of a high risk, low reward kind of, kind of thing. Yeah. That was, that was kind of my read. Yeah, it was high risk, low reward. Um, and then, you know, it wasn't just the, the press that was sort of unequivocally disastrous in the first half. And, and that's what, honestly, like I expected some hiccups with, with the press early cause they really didn't, I mean, they pressed some last year, but it was like that 13 press, right? Where, or that they, they didn't even press. It was like a 13 zone that they used to slow teams down. And then this, and then this year, it was almost like the press replaced the 13 zone in terms of just, it slowed people down. But that was sort of, as you said, the best case scenario. What was concerning is then they get into the half court with 22 seconds or so left on the shot clock. And I mean, there were guys that were like screening themselves on switches <laughs> Uh, just a, a a lot of miscommunication. Um, Scotty Lewis, in particular, I'm not gonna pick on him uh, the whole pod, but but I thought just atrocious closeouts from Scotty Lewis uh, in the first half, in particular. Uh, he was probably the most guilty of it. Um, I thought Noah Locke was was a little over aggressive with his closeouts in the second half. Um, we'll get to that when Florida played better defense, but but Noah Locke didn't really. Uh, what were your thoughts on Florida's actual half court defense uh, in the first half? Yeah, there were some tough stretches for Scotty Lewis, and and what made some of those bad closeouts worse was the fact that on the offensive end he made a couple of really poor decisions, turned the ball over a couple of times. Then on the immediate defensive possession to follow, he just gambled and and got beat that way, or or had a bad closeout. And uh, it, it was you know it was, it's a rough start for Scotty Lewis, which is which is too bad. I, I know he was able to put some points on the board in the second game against Boston College, but uh, I was looking at some of his offensive decision making, looking at some of his defensive decision making and man like for for moments there it, it looked like it was you know november of, of 2019 it was if in that moment it was pre-covid i felt like it was a year ago man like it just there just didn't seem to be uh a much development in 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 scotty lewis's game and again it's it's a 
two game sample we're looking at here. So, so we'll see, but uh, yeah, just, uh, it just seems like those errors really started to compound. But uh, like you said, with that, with the half court defense, I, I do think that they were a step slow. I thought that army was skipping the ball over the top of the defense and, and people weren't moving. So when army was moving the ball side to side, uh, it just seemed like they always had lanes to, to attack. And uh, again, when Florida is at their best, when any defense is at their best playing man defense, I think when, when defenses are, or offenses are skipping the ball over the top, you see everyone moving and, and getting to their assignment. And uh, I, I just feel like Florida was just so slow reacting to everything. And uh, again, I, I, you can call that rust for sure. Uh, because it's man, it's it's tough to play defense um, against yourself in practice every day, and uh, you're just you're never going to simulate a live opponent that you haven't seen before. Uh, but uh, I, I think you do see things like like bad closeouts or or poor recognition of 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 when a player's in help side, and you say, "Ooh, those are some of the issues we had last year." Yeah, no, and I mean, I don't. Again, I don't know how much of that is really related to like not having a scrimmage, not having game speed. I thought a lot of it. We're going to talk about the Boston College game much better, uh, certainly Thursday night than it was Wednesday afternoon. But, uh, you know, kind of concerning stuff. And, and the airs from Lewis that, that were replica airs of the season prior uh, were tough to see um, early on. And, and I don't know, you know, it was just a very, very poor uh, half of basketball, I thought from Florida, and and I didn't think it was that much better on the offensive end, particularly from like a shot selection standpoint. Eric, uh, no, there wasn't a lot offensively, and I mean, I, I've got to say, you look at those first few possessions. Uh, it looks like Florida was going to the dribble drive. Guys were passing, and they were going to screen away, which is something you see in a lot of uh, the basic dribble drive offense. Um, uh, Trey Mann's the only one who I who really seemed to be doing this, but. Uh, he seemed to be uh, be driving a lane into a dribble handoff for for Keontae Johnson, which is uh, uh, very much out of like the Kentucky uh, dribble drive offense, and they run it better than anyone. And uh, so I thought, oh, there's definitely some elements that showed they're going to the dribble drive, but it didn't look great, and they struggled to get good shots. And and again, sometimes the ball. And this is kind of the thing when you're playing dribble drive, the ball is not always in the hands of your best playmakers and the best positions for them. And there was times where the ball moved and it ended up in Scotty Lewis or Noah Locke's hands. And, uh, and and they drove the ball like they technically should in that offense. And they just are, are not the the most skilled in those areas. Uh, and it turned into a turnover or a bad shot. So uh, that didn't really seem to work. And then uh, then they actually got back into some of the Princeton stuff that we we saw last year. And and they kind of settled it down that way. And, uh, uh, you know, some other problems too. even uh, Trey Mann, who's looked awesome. Uh, one thing he's not looked awesome at is trying to uh, enter the ball into the post. Uh, he nearly <laughs> turned the ball over once, uh, bouncing it at Colin Castleton's knees. Uh, and then he did turn it over on another attempt. But uh, but hey, Colin Castleton did bring some some good scoring when he caught the ball around the rim uh, threat on the offensive or offensive rebounding side of things. But uh, yeah, looking for a. Uh, looking for any kind of offensive positives from that first half of that first game. Oof, not, not too many. Yeah. Not a whole lot of, of positives for in the first half period. I, you know, the second half, uh, at least offensively for me, we're going to talk defense um, still, but at least offensively for me, uh, certainly Florida seemed a little more in sync. And a big reason why was Tyree Apple. Yeah, I was so glad, man. I <laughs> obviously I've been, uh, you know, standing for my homie Tony yeah. Appleby for most of the offseason. When he was not getting much run in the first half, I was like pretty concerned given the fact that, man, this uh, they could use someone who can make a play. And I think 
uh, Appleby's a playmaker. And if he doesn't have the trust of the coaching staff, uh, that's a problem. But man, he came out in the second half and just was an absolute spark plug. He was the first guy to really push the play. Uh, he brought some shot making to the roster, to the, uh, to the floor that the, that the Gators needed. And I, uh, on, and you know, with his, with his defense, which, you know, his defense, I don't think has been, has been great through two games, but he has been prone to like making the one big defensive play where he just, you know, flies in for a steal or, uh, or pressures a ball handler and gets underneath him. And, uh, just the, the, the sheer energy he brings to the court fires up his teammates. But, uh, but that was a huge change offensively. I think was when, when he came in the game and instantly was, was getting to the hoop every, every time he caught the ball, he has that kind of like herky jerky rock the ball back and forth. Uh, He's got the full bag of tricks, but man, he was getting to the rim at will, drawing fouls. And um, of course, what I've been talking about uh, with him for uh, ever since he committed to the Gators, he hit jump shots off the dribble, which is which is tough to do. And uh, when when your offense isn't isn't going well from a schematic standpoint, it's great to have a guy who can improvise and, and get his own bucket. So uh, I was just super, super happy. And uh, man, I, you know, I, I don't think it's a big stretch to say if, if they don't have Tyree Appleby, they don't they don't win the game. Because things were not going well on at all until Tyree Appleby got in the game. Um, I think he was really the the st- main story of the second half. I think he was the main difference between the first half and the second half. Uh, there wasn't, uh, uh, well, a, a lot of guys got run in the first half. I mean, White was rolling out just about anyone to see who could compete. Uh, but uh, the, the main change was really Tyree Appleby being in the game in the second half where he wasn't much in the first half. And uh, yeah, I think he, honestly, I think he might have saved the Gators on that day. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And and look, I think actually, you know, just sort of the timeline of the game bears that out. Keontae Johnson was Keontae Johnson, except he wasn't quite as good as he normally is. A lot of that because of foul trouble. I actually, uh, very briefly, not not something we have to discuss for too long, but but I'm interested in, in your take and listeners' takes uh, on this because I got a couple questions about it. I love the the confidence that Mike White showed letting him play with, with the two fouls in the first half. It's something that Mike White never does. Uh, it shows you how much trust he has in Keontae. I thought it was a really, a very tough third foul call uh, on Keontae. Um, on a night where I actually, I thought Florida got a lot of good calls in their favor. I thought that was one of the only ones that, that I really didn't agree with. I thought it was pretty clearly a block or a no call, um, but but they call the third foul and, and Keontae, you know, gets the three fouls. So that limits his effectiveness. And the reality is that Florida's down by six points when Tyree Appleby enters the game still in the second half. Uh, Appleby comes out, hits a jump shot. And, you know, from the stretch where Appleby comes in at 42-36, Appleby uh, is involved in four of Florida's next five buckets. Uh, sorry, five of Florida's next six buckets, Eric. And by the time that that stretch ends, it's 49-47 Florida. Yeah, he's just, uh, he's good a couple ways offensively because we saw that he can hit jump shots off the dribble, uh, which is awesome. We saw that he can get to the hoop, which is awesome. And we also saw him make a few passes that, that quite frankly, I don't think other guys on the team can make like Trey Mann has had some good moments as a passer. I don't think he's a outstanding passer, um, but I think his ability to, to get in the paint in these last two games, just like broke down the defense so much that he had good solid passing lanes. Uh, but of, of course there was that one lob that Appleby threw that was just kind of a, a no 
look behind the defense, threw it up where only Keontae Johnson could get it and, and finished. And uh, yeah, that was a that was a huge turning point. Uh, and uh, what the one thing I just love about Appleby too is like, man, the the guy plays with such joy. And there's no one yeah. on the roster that that I think really brings that same level of of emotion. And I mean, you look at these these past couple of seasons. Uh, that's kind of been some of the uh, uh, I don't know what you want to say energy or some of the personality that this kind of team has has, has lost. And uh, again, there's been some some rough games that felt a little bit like this army game where uh, man, it just kind of felt surreal. Just like kind of felt like the team was really down on each other, and there's just no one to come p- pick it up. And and Tyree Appleby comes in playing with insane amounts of energy makes a super fun play highlight real play and uh, as army calls a timeout he's jumping up and down he's screaming um and he's just showing so much more passion than that uh that we've seen and and again i don't want to I, I know some guys kind of show that emotion in, in different ways and some guys feel that and uh, maybe don't emote it in the same way. But it, 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 I really think that uh, the, the joy that Appleby plays with and that kind of outward passion he shows was something that the team picked up on. Yeah, I thought it was too. And, and you know, I, I, I've always felt like Keontae plays that way. He's got that, that edge to him, that, that toughness and that dog. But when he's in foul trouble, all the more important that, that Florida gets it from elsewhere. And, and I, again, we'll talk about Boston College here shortly, but it, it carried over like early in the BC game. Uh, Trey Mann made you know a really nice drive and kind of scoop shot, and like I'd never seen Trey Mann. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, it. I guess it doesn't. It doesn't mean that that Trey isn't emotional or competitive, but I haven't seen a reaction to Trey from like a basket, like we saw early in the Boston College game ever before. And I think some of that is definitely infectious and some of it carried over from from the day before with with Tyree Appleby being a guy who who also probably really really values the chance to play for a winner after being kind of stuck on this Dennis Felton Cleveland State team that that was a fiasco. Yeah, and I don't know I don't know if uh, I I mean I think every player wants to start there there's there's no question. Uh but for, for Appleby who just got, you know, double teamed and had the ball in his hands for for every possession for Cleveland State, it probably feels good to not be the focal point of the other team's scouting report yeah. and be able to to kind of come in and and not have the best defender on you, but maybe the second or third and uh then to also have a guy like Keontae Johnson that you can throw lobs to or someone like Trey Mann who's just been cooking through two games that you can reverse the ball to and you know he's going to make a play. Uh, Tyree Appleby has not had that guy on his uh, on his roster before, and uh, yeah, it was it, you know we've talked about so many things that were just surreal about this game, and I, I think we're kind of starting to blend into the Boston College game a little bit. But man, like seeing Tyree Appleby and and Trey Mann on the floor together. Uh, two guys who can make plays off the dribble, who can uh, create space and hit jump shots. Uh, it is so unlike any backcourt Florida has had in many, many years. Um, I, I, I honestly don't can't really think of the last one. I mean, obviously, you look back at the uh, uh, these last teams in the Mike White era, uh, not even close. There's there's really no comparisons. You go back to the days of, of Scotty Wilbekin and, and Michael Frazier, two great players, but uh, not two guys that kind of played with this kind of swagger and electricity. And, uh, you know, it's not like Frazier was going to go out and, and uh, shake a guy and get all the way to the hoop. Um, uh, so, yeah, like 
the uh, the Gators have this backcourt that's so much fun. It kind of reminds me, you know, loosely. This is very loose, but you see teams like like Auburn, for example, a couple of years back, uh, where they always just seem to have two guys who can make plays in the backcourt, whether it's creating space for a jump shot or getting all the way to the hoop. And those are the teams that have had success in in college basketball recently. So uh, to see to see that Florida looks like they have two really good scores in the backcourt is is super encouraging. Yeah, no, it is, and and it's also you know even even last year Auburn was was in a similar boat although there wasn't like the bryce harper bomber right but our bryce harper good job uh, <laughs> the perfect player the combination of the two yeah yeah right exactly jared harper um but yeah there wasn't the uh you know samir dowdy and javon mccormick are both playmakers they they weren't gonna bury 27 foot threes from you know the top of the gator head but but they had that uh, ability to get in the lane, impact things, and and it looks like Florida has a couple of those guys, which is very nice, and probably why with them coexisting, Florida's offense was so much more effective uh, in the second half. I think with an assist from from this front court, which looks to be sort of a Castleton Payne, uh, Darugi deal uh, with with Anthony Darugi obviously struggling, although you know again. You could see how his activity on the glass is is going to be useful, even even on a day when he struggled offensively. Yeah, Daruji looks like a different player. Uh, I, I truly mean that. Looking at what I saw at Louisiana Tech and then seeing what what he was with the Gators with these first two games, he just looked so much stiffer. Whether it was uh, the way he moved laterally or the, the way he put up jump shots that looked really uncomfortable every single time. Uh, yeah, he just, he looks like a different player and I, and I'm hoping that is just like, Hey, he, you know, maybe put on some weight during the, uh, the red shirt year, put on some more muscle and suddenly he's, he's not moving quite the same way and needs to, needs to yeah. find his footing, uh, playing in live games again. Uh, but man, this was, uh, it did not look like the same player we saw at Louisiana tech really liked his game there, uh, really was not super impressed with what we saw through two games. And I don't really know who could be other than like you said, Neil, he did show that he can be a terror on the offensive glass, right. uh, especially there were times where they did have one of the centers, Daruji and Johnson on the floor at the, se- the same time, which is just going to be, uh, offensive rebounding like the Gators have not had in a couple of years. Uh, but, uh, but you know, unless uh, Neil, unless you've got. Uh, any more takes on Daruji? I would love to hear your opinion on the uh, the center race, which uh, might be uh, being led by Castleton right now. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, Castleton super active with his arms, uh, and and I thought, and there were a couple offensive rebounds that you know he got tips on and tip outs in, and Florida I think was really just kind of unfortunate, like they, you know, would fall these were the 50 50 balls that Florida was losing. And so I guess not necessarily unfortunate, but, but on a better night where Florida was a little more locked in, you probably get more than the seven offensive rebounds that Florida got uh, from Castleton or from as a team, three of which came from Castleton. And it really could have been five or six, which would have put him right in double, double territory uh, in his debut. Um, And then, you know, uh, you know, I'll get to pain when we talk about Boston College because I, I do want to get into Omar a little bit. But I thought, uh, but yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Florida's going to be, you know, if we're worried about Florida as a rebounding team, it looks like there are at least pieces that can address that problem. Uh, first and foremost with, with Colin Castleton, who, you know, I, I guess that was the one eye-opening starter. Like I think a lot of people said, oh, top 50 player Omar Payne coming back, he's going to start. And, and it was Castleton. 
Yeah, there's some people that that really thought the Castles in was not good, and it was all it yeah. all stemmed it all stemmed from the fact that uh, that he didn't get many minutes at, at Michigan, and honestly, that was concerning in in some way. It was really weird, and I mean, I wrote about this and talked about it on this podcast. Where if you look at if you look at his film, you're like, wow, this is a great player, and you look at his advanced and his advanced stats in the analytics, and it's like, wow, this is a player with a great block rate, with a great uh, great defensive rebounding rate. And right. yet you look at how he plays and it's like, oh, he could handle the ball a little bit. Uh, he looked really good defensively in, in pick and roll coverage. But then you just look at his minutes at Michigan and it's like, wow, he had several DNP coaches decisions in, uh, in in conference games. Or, hey, he only got in for three or four minutes of garbage time. And uh, there, there's always the elements of me as someone who loves advanced stats that's uh, that knows it doesn't tell the, you know, the whole story. And sometimes coaches do know best and, uh, they, they know who to put on the floor and who gives them the best opportunity to win. And the fact that, uh, obviously Juwan Howard did not think that Castleton was going to help them win on a lot of nights, uh, that maybe was a cause for some concern, but man, from, from very quickly, uh, on the floor, uh, with, with the Gators, uh, he showed that he's a really, really solid player who looks pretty polished and looks like he can, it uh, looks like he knows his role perfectly. Just the, the way he defends, what he was looking for offensively. Uh, he just looks like a really solid modern center. And uh, I would say he showed a lot less rust. Um, there wasn't really any moments that I really thought, wow, there's a rusty looking player. Uh, but with uh, with pain, there was definitely a, a few of those moments. Uh, and it's also interesting too. I mean, when you see Castleton next to pain, Castleton is significantly bigger. And when you saw them, yeah. when you saw how big Castleton looked going against that smaller um, army front line versus uh, versus pain, it was like, man, Castleton is is noticeably bigger. And uh, we'll see how that kind of plays out when, when the Gators do play some teams with bigger front courts. Uh, there wasn't a big man particularly big at either army or boston college but uh i've got to say i do think that right now uh castleton's got a a good lead on the 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 main center position for the gators i was someone who did think it was going to be pain but uh if this two game sample is worth anything i i I think that castleton is is a a step ahead right now i mean james karnick is like frank the tank so i mean (laughs) it's it's fine but yeah no you're no you're still right uh, Karnick is, is like chiseled out of, of rock, but, uh, not super tall, right? Like just kind of a, a, a hard guy to move probably, but not really even a center. Um, just kind of a strange player, but so let's, let's dive into James Karnick in Boston college, Florida, uh, never trails just obliterates a Boston college team that, that had been very, very, uh, competitive, albeit one and two. In their first three games, they led Villanova by uh, nine points. No, sorry, by 11 points with nine minutes to go uh, and ended up losing, couldn't couldn't hang on and, and beat Villanova. But, uh, you know, Eric kind of nailed it, I thought, in the preview. Like, just Boston College just really struggled to defend. And, um, you know, that's evidenced by Florida shooting 57% from the floor. <laughs> uh, but But also some of it, the Gators were really good. Well, I've got a crazy stat to bring up. I think it's pretty crazy. It's maybe not quite in crazy, crazy range quite yet. Uh, but uh, this is something that I thought was very interesting about the way that the, the Gators played offense um, so far this season. So all of last year in 31 games, uh, the Gators ran 130 isolation plays uh, through two games. Uh, they ran 24 and 18 of them were against Boston College. 
So they are isolating a significant amount more in these first two games than they did last year. And uh, honestly, against Boston College, it was a it was a good strategy. I mean, it, right right away, Trey Mann came out and we established very quickly that no one was going to be able to, to keep their feet in front of him. Uh, he was getting whatever he wanted in isolation and they went to it. And then they also ran a bunch of isolations for Keontae Johnson on the wing, um, some of which I didn't go particularly well, but it was uh, it was very clear that they were looking to to get one on one, which is super interesting because uh, it was not something they did much last year. So uh, I, I think that that was a really interesting development on on the whole, just because hey, if this is what the Gators want to do, I, I'm kind of here for it because, again, so often in college basketball, you see teams that like run their stuff no matter what, no matter who they're playing. Uh, they're like, hey, this is our this is our offense. This is what we run. Uh, and then you go watch the NBA game and it's like, hey, who's the weakest defender on the floor right now? Let's go at them over and over and over again. And I, I think that that's going to be one of the next developments in college basketball that you're going to see them take from the NBA game is like, hey, we're not just going to run our same sets over and over again. We are going to do what the NBA does, find the weakest defender uh, on the floor and go at them every time. And and for the Gators to realize quickly, Trey Mann in isolation is going to be a threat. Uh, Keontae Johnson is going to be a threat. I think it's pretty wise. Uh, and, and then, of course, there was the first bucket of the game that was a Trey Mann layup off a of Princeton set, which I thought was... Uh, uh, pretty great considering that they started the game against Army playing the dribble drive to not great effect. Yeah, no, I thought that was nice. Uh, nice job changing offenses uh, at, at times. And and then, you know, uh, I, I wanted to give a shout to, to man, man's understanding and capability to do that. You know, Florida changes what they want to do. So they, they run uh, a handful of sets and then they go back into the dribble drive, into the isolations. And and I thought, uh, you know, a really good job of man by running running the offense. He had come under some criticism. Oh, man, I don't know about man as the point guard and passer. You know, we were already getting those takes against Army uh, from from Gator Nation, and he comes out with a with a nice six assist night uh, against BC yesterday. Yeah, and in terms of the uh, our previous conversation about assist to turnover ratio, I think he finished the game with one turnover, but it was him making a really ill advised baseline drive into help it wasn't a, a passing mistake right. um but yeah he had a great he had some great moments where uh he he drew help in the pick and roll and then just like zipped a pass perfectly into the the shooting pocket of Keontae Johnson uh he also had a beautiful no look pass as well to Keontae Johnson earlier uh hit Castleton on the roll really well and man I was someone who was really concerned about man as a passer I just thought in his freshman season he showed us Nothing that would suggest he's he's a he's a great passer, and I still don't think he's a great passer. I think he's a good passer. Uh, but the thing is, if he's going to be this good offensively, he doesn't need to make great passes. Uh, he's going to draw so many defenders, he can make an easy pass. Uh, you know, you know, Andrew Nemhart was an elite elite passer, and I think part of the reason why was because he has never been a great one-on-one break the defense down on his own kind of guy. So he has tight windows to pass the ball through and he's able to do it, which is super impressive. Uh, but with Trey Mann, it was like, you know, with this Keontae Johnson play, for example, for the corner three, uh, Mann just collapsed the defense, knew that they were, knew that they were all going to like try to clog up the paint against him, recognized where the help was coming from, saw the open shooter and just delivered a perfect pass. And I think that's kind of what the Gators are going to need if he's going to be that good offensively. Yeah, no, uh, totally agree. The Gators are going to this, and they probably aren't going to get twenty-four and twelve. Uh, <laughs> but uh, can we talk a, a moment about the monster that was not in foul trouble, Keontae Johnson? 
against Boston College. Just an unstoppable force last night. Yeah, it just was hilarious to see every defensive rebound just like looping in the air and then like four guys jumping. It's just like, oh, there's Keontae Johnson in the back. He's going <laughs> to he's gonna come away with that one. And um, of course he did. Um, and, uh, you know, I, th- I think every one of his rebounds was defensive as well. I-, I can't remember him getting an offensive rebound. I just remember him getting every defensive rebound. And uh, what was awesome about that as well was when he got the, what I love to see was he got the defensive rebound uh, and then he was able to really push the ball and he was looking to push the ball in transition. And there's something we didn't talk about at the army game, uh, but we have to point out now. So um, in uh, against army, the Gators had uh, the Gators had nine transition possessions, which was 11% of their, of their offensive possessions, uh, which was lower than their amount of transition possessions. They averaged last year. So clearly they were not playing very fast against Army, um, but man, against Boston College, uh, they totally flipped the script and they had 22 transition uh, shots uh, against Boston College. And a lot of that was because, yeah, Keontae Johnson gets the defensive rebound and he turned and saw that there was no one in front of him and then he pushed the ball. And that's that's something that I think is is really important. Um, I don't think that Keontae Johnson is a great ball handler. So I, I don't necessarily think that he should be the one looking to push the ball, especially if teams try to match up with them earlier. But something I think is just important in transition play generally is like, hey, go until someone stops you. Uh, push the ball as fast as you can and make someone guard you. Make someone move over and stop the ball and, and then you can pass it to one of your guards. And there was times where he just turned, turned up the floor, went in a straight line and no one stopped the ball and he got all the way to the hoop. And will he be able to do that against some of these SEC teams that I think play better transition defense? Uh, no, but man, that's just like simple offensive basketball right there. Go until someone stops you. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and it, it got to the point where they were so afraid about him attacking the rim or him attacking closeouts that, you know, there were a couple moments in the second half. I think I tweeted out one where, you know, they laid off Keontae so much, Eric, that, that he was able to orchestrate and lead offense as basically a point guard. <laughs> and it's because nobody was stepping up to challenge him with the ball. So he, he just kind of had all this space and like, that's not how to defend Keontae Johnson. Like I don't want to knock mid-major gym too much, but that's, that's not going to work. Oh, mid-major gym. It's having a tough time winning at the, the high major level, especially without yeah. Jordan Mincy on his, on his roster. Yeah, uh, but yeah. having a rough one. And, and I, I did appreciate uh, CLT Gator on, on Twitter, you know, just kind of uh, reminding me that, that one reason that mid-major gym may have so much tru- trouble winning at the Power 5 level and, and may not be a guy who's, who's won Coach of the Year in three different conferences, Eric, is that, you know, he allows Keontae Johnson that much space to just vertically barrel his way downhill to the basket. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, uh, when I was uh, first kind of like really getting into the the coaching side of basketball, my favorite player or sorry, my favorite team was, you know, Toronto Raptors uh, and their best player at the time was DeMar DeRozan and he couldn't shoot worth a lick. And it was always funny to see teams trying to guard him by uh, by saying, well, we know he's not going to be able to shoot the three. So let's take four steps backwards um, and try to force him to shoot. And then he would just be able to get these running head starts. And suddenly it was like a mini transition play. And uh, and that's something that I think that uh, you, you, what you're describing really uh, really reminded me of was you give Keontae Johnson that that cushion and he's going to be able to get up to full speed, at which point 
it's a lot tougher to, to, to move your feet and get in front of them. So, uh, I, I, again, one thing I did like was that the Gators were, were willing to punish that they were willing to let Keontae Johnson isolate. And, yeah. uh, last year, again, they didn't necessarily have the guys who were capable of going one-on-one and, and taking advantage of switches, which is one of the things that maybe made the Gators uh, a little bit easier to guard in these last couple of, of seasons. Uh, but man, it was great to see that there was a recognition of, Oh, we think Keontae Johnson can score one-on-one. Let's let him go one-on-one. There was times where Trey Mann had a one-on-one matchup where they didn't call out a set or, or run their normal stuff. They said, Hey, we think man can score one-on-one. Let's let him go one-on-one. And uh, I, I really do like that strategy. And, and uh, you know, it, 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 it might sting because there's going to be the, the Mike White haters who were like, see, they don't run an offense, but Hey, it's, it's, which it was just stupid for so many reasons. Uh, but again, sometimes the best <laughs> offense is like, Hey, we don't need to run sets. Let's space out the floor. Let our best player cook. Yeah, no doubt. Um, speaking of of guys that that were cooking a little bit, uh, I did want to talk about Omar Payne in in the in the Boston College game because it was just so it was night and day um, from what we saw against Army, where he looked kind of plodding and and uh, a little confused. Uh, and then you know yesterday, very quick, very decisive off the catch. Um, saw one moment where Al Pinkins got up off the bench and was really fired up on on a play where. Omar made a catch and, you know, it showed some nice footwork and hit a hook shot immediately. Uh, really pretty basketball. And, and it got Pinkins off the bench and, and, you know, yelling something at him, which I'm, I'm sure that's something that him and Pinkins have worked on a lot. And, uh, you know, a, a really good performance from Omar on the offensive side. Yeah, and he finished that one with his left hand. Uh, I love that play. I watched it a couple times today because, uh, man, I've got to say, I, I, I love – I love post-ups like that's something about basketball yeah. that like, I know it's not the most awesome. uh, efficient. Uh, uh, it's not the most efficient shot. Um, it's, it's uh, often easy to defend, but I I've got to say, I love watching traditional players go with their back to the basket and make post moves and score. It is one of my like basketball. Um, I don't even know if you call it a guilty pleasure, but I love it. Yeah. And to see him make that move and finish with his left hand. I, I, I loved it. I was fired up. Uh, stood up off my couch. I was, I was into it. Uh, but yeah, he certainly played, played a lot better and was also, uh, the beneficiary of some uh, some nice kind of garbage time lobs there at the end when when yeah. Boston College had to uh, extend their defense. Um, so that was good for him to put some points on the board. That always feels good. Uh, and yeah, it, made, it certainly made the uh, the whole uh, uh, race for starting center position a little bit more interesting after a pretty one sided bout in the first game. Uh, but yeah, I would say that the next the next iteration. I know he hasn't really had those opportunities yet against uh, against Army and Boston College, but I, I'm really looking forward to seeing the uh, the Omar Payne shot blocker who can really be a, a huge presence on that end. I'm, I'm not saying he you know didn't do that in the first right. two games. He just didn't have those opportunities. Uh, but man. You know, Colin Castleton, a uh, really good shot blocker in his own right. So uh, it's not like there's a a huge area for, for Payne to, like, grab the reins there. Uh, but, uh, hey, it's also super fun to be talking about the center position, having a couple options there, because we have not had that discussion on this podcast ever um, in the history of this podcast. We have known who the starter is, and we have known that they are going to want to play the starter every possible minute. So uh, it's it's great to uh, great to be talking Payne and Castleton. Yeah, no, it is. It, it's it sure beats uh, debating whether or not you know they should turn the reins over a little more to Isaiah Stokes or something to to figure something out under underneath. I think uh, I think this is this is much better. And you know, Florida had six blocks um, yesterday night, which uh, was three more than than BC had allowed in any other game. 
Um, so I thought, you know, Florida showing that they're, they're going to be active defensively. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on Scotty Lewis last night because I felt like uh, the consensus kind of was that, that he still was over-aggressive. He still makes these over-aggressive plays that make you scratch your head because a couple times Boston College was able to get pretty easy looks at the basket because of kind of that – in football, we call it over-pursuit. Uh, in, in, in basketball, we just say it's poor decisions when really he just needs to keep his guy in front of him and keep Florida in their half-court defense, which was pretty darn good last night. Um, but Lewis played a team-high 32 minutes, Eric. And uh, ends up with a, a relatively nice stat line. Your thoughts on Scotty's game? Yeah, he still definitely had some moments that frustrated me. Uh, there was a time, uh, two times, where he uh, where he went to close out, and you could tell that he was looking to close out middle and and force uh, force the guy he was closing out to to uh, to go towards middle where he had help. But he exaggerated his closeout so much and got his butt to the one sideline right. that uh, that the player was able to drive baseline. And because Scotty Lewis turned his hips so aggressively, there was no no way for him to recover. He completely took himself out of the play. There was also another time where and again like maybe maybe they're coached to do this and they've got the green light to to do this when they feel they have a chance at a steal i don't know if that's the case uh but scotty lewis was was guarding the guy in the corner um on that same side of of, of the wing the ball went to a player there and he just fired towards that guy looking for a steal looking for an aggressive double took himself way out of the play and uh again maybe maybe they're allowed to do that in the defense maybe that's something they're looking to do but i i kind of doubt it and Again, it's like Scotty Lewis has all the, has all the tools to just play play straight up, not have to get super aggressive trying to close out and and force a guy to help, not trying to gamble on steals and 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 get go get going the other way. Uh, I just think he's got all the the physical tools to to play straight up, but then uh, he yeah he just puts himself in such compromising situations by 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 being so aggressive. So uh, definitely played. Uh, I guess a little bit better. I thought he uh, he didn't get himself into trouble trying to drive the ball in in bad scenarios. Uh, you know, I, I I know he hit the shots, but he had two. You know, he had two step back uh, step back jumpers, which you know he hit one of them. He got fouled on that awkward uh, play where the where the guy fell over. Uh, but again, how many of those shots of of step back contested twos do you want Scotty Lewis taking? Uh, I'm not sure. I think the number might be, I'm going to say, I think that number is probably smaller than Scotty Lewis thinks it is, but uh, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, I, I would say again, going back to what we said previously in the podcast, uh, the, the fact that he had the, the trust from the coaching staffs to, to lead the team in minutes uh, maybe says something. Yeah. Well, I mean, I thought he did a really nice job on Malik Ashton Langford, right? When, when, and this is to your point, Eric, when he decided to just play defense and to use his quick feet and his length. You know, he gets two blocks. Both of those were on uh, Lankford attempts. Um, and and he, he picks up a couple steals just playing normal defense, right? Like, I don't think he necessarily needs to, to make these big aggressive gambles uh, that, that force his teammates into five on four. I mean, if you have really good rim protectors – and and Florida looks like they're gonna have really good rim protectors. Uh, then try to keep things in front of you and don't put your team at numerical disadvantages, right? Like make it hard on on make them work the ball around and score against your best five. That's what we would coach. Yeah, I I, I would say that uh, I would say I'm a lot definitely alongside those those lines. And and again, it would be one thing too if if Lewis was 
really locking down in all the other kind of areas of defense. And then you say, oh, you know, you gamble from time to time. It happens. But again, I, I just don't think his defensive production has matched his defensive reputation. Right. And uh, yeah, I would maybe just look at it differently if it was like the equivalent of, of Kavarius Hayes going and, and gambling on a steal because he wants to go get a dunk on the other end. Uh, maybe, you know, if he gets burned from time to time, you're like, okay, Kavarius, you're, you're shouldering things defensively. Uh, you, you get one of those, but, uh, but yeah, for Lewis, uh, maybe not so much. Any concern uh, before we move on to Stetson, any concern about, you know, anybody we really haven't talked about, Noah Locke uh, starts the year three out of 11 from three-point range, missed a couple really open ones. Probably too early to be concerned about that. Any any issues with, with Noah out of Bubbleville? Well, Noah definitely has a more, uh, he's got a lot more confidence dribbling the ball and definitely a lot more confidence uh, attacking, which is, which is really great. Uh, but he still, uh, he missed every shot he had at the rim. And he had a bunch of floaters fall, which I do not think are going to continue to falling. Um, yes, uh, for, for you know any, anyone wondering, the floater count is off to historic levels for the Gators. They are, uh, they're, they're uh, sorry, 8 of 14. So they're shooting 57% on floaters uh, through two games, uh, which will not continue. And uh, Noah Locke took a bunch of floaters. Some of them rimmed out, but he also hit a bunch of them. So I still see, I still see Noah Locke's game and say like, ah, oh, he's still not really able to finish at the rim. And he really loves to rely on the floaters and, and they've fallen so far, but history tells us that that's just not going to continue. Um, but yeah, I, I, this is, uh, this is just like last year. I, well, I shouldn't say this is, I hope this yeah. is going to be like last year where Noah Locke starts the season, struggling to shoot the ball a little bit, um, finds his rhythm and then shoots like 50% for the second half of the year and ends up with a great percent overall. So, uh, I, I will say I'm definitely happy to see that, that Locke looks more comfortable handling the ball and, uh, and attacking some closeouts and stringing together some dribble moves. Um, but, uh, I, I also kind of wish he would reign rein things back a little bit because yeah there were there were some tough shots he took loves the, loves the mid-range two off the dribble um we i don't think that's a great shot for him uh he loves the floater don't think that's a great shot for him and would just love to see him um continuing to grow the confidence of, of attacking at the rim because yeah his attempts trying to trying to lay the ball in against pressure were uh were not great so i'd like to see I, i'm going to start tracking the mid-range two because the only thing i may disagree with you about is is that like i think I think people are so aggressive defending Noah off the three-point line that if that if that's a shot that he feels like he can hit, uh, and and I'm going to start tracking it, like because I think that makes him a little more dangerous offensively, right? Like you can't be and people are going to be aggressive about him no matter what, but if he's going to be comfortable hitting that mid-range two and it's clearly superior to him attacking ten, like maybe that's maybe that's a good look, no? Uh, maybe, um, we'll, we'll see. He shot 33.1% on mid range twos off the dribble last year. I'll tell you that number before. Uh, <laughs> so we'll see if he can improve on that. But, but again, uh, uh m most players at the rim are even, you know, are approaching around 50%. Uh, so when I see a player that attacks and decides not to go right to the rim and instead sells for uh, the pull-up jumper, uh, you kind of need to see that effectiveness getting uh, climbing up towards that that 50% range. And that's why for so many players, the mid-range jump shot is is not a good look. Uh, I will say I, I, do, I would much prefer that, that Noah Locke does take the mid-range attempt versus the floater. I, I would take an on-balance 
um, gather jump shot from Noah Locke from two versus um, an off balance floater. So we'll, we'll we'll see how we'll see how that goes. But uh, but yeah, I, hey, it's 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 early. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing getting some more sample. Like hey, let's let's see if it's a good shot for for Locke, and let's see if we can say oh maybe it's not a great shot necessarily, but it's enough it's enough of a threat that like you said, teams are going to want to run him off the line more aggressively. Uh, we'll we'll find out. Yeah, and and I mean I don't look. I'd rather have him take that mid-range two than Scotty Lewis. So, uh, you know, if, if, if we're going to be a team where people are popping up to take mid-range two-point jump shots, <laughs> uh, I'd rather have it be Noah Locke because I think it creates things because defenses are so going are going to aggressively pursue uh, Noah at the three-point line. Eric, are you cool with doing uh, six listener questions all from the same listener? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. We got challenged by uh, Jared Vilmer at French something on Twitter. Um, he said, I, of course, don't expect you to answer all these questions. And because we love our listeners, we're going to answer every one of them. All right. All right, here we go. Um, and, and they're really good questions because we have awesome listeners who know stuff about basketball like CLT Gator. Um, so Jared asked, one, is the high block number in this game, especially from Castleton, a sign of uh, positive rim protector improving Mike White's defense. And and we all know that's something he relies on. Uh, I don't think that rim protection has been, was, was the problem in these, these last two games for sure. That's, that's <laughs> something that's, uh, that's nice. Florida's defense doesn't look great, but, but again, yeah, between, between Castleton and, and Payne, uh, yeah, I don't think rim protection is going to be a problem. And I do think that's going to help things out. And especially Castleton, who I also think is a really strong positional defender. He doesn't need to like run, max vert explosive leap use every bit of his length to get his fingertips on the ball he also had some really good rim protection by standing there with his two feet on the ground arms raised and and guys driving the ball had to stop what they were doing and uh reverse pivot and get the ball out of there so uh yeah the 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 high block percentage um uh we know the rim protection is important to the gators so so any rim protection they get i I think is definitely going to make their defense better yeah, no, and I'm just echoing that thought. I thought Florida's defense played pretty well against Boston College as well. A lot of, uh, I think about 10 to 12 kind of garbage time points for BC skew the the number a little bit. But I think, you know, obviously Florida, look, to me, I thought Florida played one good defensive game where you could see that they could be great defensively, um, but they still made some some kind of sloppy airs. And then they played one game where you're like, man, can they even be average defensively? But but that was the game where Florida played a press, which they abandoned altogether against Boston College, more or less. Uh, yeah, for 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 good reason, I think. And once again, it it kind of goes back to I feel like the the press was looking like uh, a, a bit of a high risk, not huge reward type of thing. And again, if you're liking your half court man to man defense, I I don't know why you necessarily have to to, to change. Yeah, no, and look, I, I yeah, that's Eric made the point. I don't I don't need to to reiterate it. I have no problem. If Florida's going to abandon the press for now, that sounds like a fantastic idea. That question two, does it look to you like Locke is more confident off the dribble in this young season? (laughs) Shots aren't going down yet. We just talked about that. Wonderful question, Jared. I promise I actually didn't read any of these other than the last tweet that said we wouldn't answer them all. So um, (laughs) I think we, we kind of got into that one. He says a few more questions. Three did, did Niles Lane meet your expectations on defense? To me, he looked as active as Scotty, but better at staying in guarding position. Yes. Yeah, I, I thought I thought Lane looked great. <laughs> I thought he had good size out there and just like played under control. Uh, 
Uh, I, I, yeah, and I've also got to say, Neil, oof, uh, some rough, rough early minutes for for Samson Drusensev. Oh. Um, some better minutes for for Lane. So uh, early, early polling on uh, which freshman <laughs> is going to be playing more. Uh, while I think Drusensev might have more minutes technically because he got in the first game and, and Lane didn't, uh, I'm I'm going to give the, uh, the the edge to Lane so far in uh, who might be the uh, the the better freshman. Yeah, I had like I did. I, my eyebrows raised a little bit, Jared, when I when I um, saw Lane's stat line in seven minutes, and I was like, "Ooh, he got a block in there. He got a steal in there. I think he he definitely disrupted a couple other shots." Uh, really well said. That that he does seem that seems to be a strength. I mean, we've seen seven minutes of him, so who knows? But he does clearly appear to be able to stay in guarding position and just like be a fundamentally solid wing defender and and. Um, you might not have noticed, but Florida hasn't exactly like majored in those in the last few years with the Mike White era. Um, four, what was your impression of Appleby and Deruji? I think we talked a little bit about Anthony. Um, you know, I loved Appleby's energy. I thought it was infectious. A little bit rougher a night against BC, but he also got matched up with Stefan Mitchell a couple times, which is a tough ask. Yeah, there's some tough, uh, tough moments defensively for Appleby. Uh, but man, uh, I think he gets to the rim better than anyone. And I think that that's kind of the concern with some mid-major to high-major transfers is, hey, can they create space? Can they get those driving lanes that they they got at the mid-major level against better defenders? Uh, you know, Boston College, not full of great defenders, no question. Uh, <laughs> but Appleby was just gliding by them at, at will. So that is is very, very encouraging, I would say. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um and again, you know, he had the five turnovers against Boston College, but a couple of them were with matchups against Stefan Mitchell, who's 6'8 and, and was uh, 15th in the nation in steals last year. So, uh, like I said, probably the only good defender Boston College has, and, and he took advantage of a, of a matchup with, with Appleby trying to be creative. And I don't mind – look, Florida's been had such a dearth of creators, Eric, that, like, I'm okay with a couple trying to make plays turnovers. We've talked about this on the podcast. Not all turnovers are really created equal. And NOBC got two points off of Applebee's five turnovers on my rewatch. Hmm. Yeah, that, now, that, now that's going to be something to, to track. Um, I forget. Actually, I forget who. Uh, uh, someone brought it up to me. I forget who. So I'm sorry if you're listening and I don't not give me credit. But but someone said instead of assist to turnover ratio uh, track, I should track um, shot quality assist to passing turnover ratio. And I think that that would be hilarious. So I, I very well might do that. I like it. We have two more from Jared. Uh, Jared asked, did Mike White look more animated than average to you? I cracked up when he was jumping up and down to get Darushi guarding the right man in the first half. Yeah, that was funny. Um, he he looked more animated to me in the Army game than the Boston College game. Like in the Army game, there were a couple times. And Eric and I were texting about how it was certainly a basketball game. <laughs> mm. and, and Mike White looked so exasperated. Yeah, I don't know if I would say that that White looked any more animated than normal. I, I think that his kind of like bursts of physical reaction to stuff that happens on the court is something we've seen from the for the last little while. So like maybe I missed it. I don't think he his body language was was any yeah. different than normal. But but especially um you know like the uh, the play that's described that's usually what gets what gets White uh, pretty animated is when a guy's just kind of like spinning around and like looking for a, a jersey of the opposing team who's like not occupied. So it's like oh I, I guess that's my man. Uh, that usually gets uh they usually gets uh some physical uh some physical comedy from from mike white so uh yeah i, I may and hey uh, there's definitely a lot more 
like vocal guys on the roster this year. Uh, definitely a lot more energy. So so maybe White won't have to be the one to to bring that as much as he maybe did the last uh, the last two seasons. Yeah, no, I remember last year Sarah in Tampa asked like who the most animated coach was, and I think the conclusion was it, it's probably Al Pinkins, but. Um, you know, cause you kind of have like the one with the ice water in his veins, like white is Mincy. And then oftentimes it's like Nicholson Pinkins that, that get fired up about stuff. But, uh, yeah, I didn't think he was any more animated than usual. Although against army, he definitely would get exasperated a couple times. Um, and then last question from Jared is, did you see anyone as a particular defensive weakness so far? And, and like, we've had the discussion with Malik Grady uh, Eric and I have, and, and like, I don't know, like the first game, they were so poor defensively at times that it's hard to say, like, I hate to pick on Scotty Lewis, but I kind of thought that like some of the decisions Scotty Lewis made really put the team in, in a bad spot defensively. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think he was, I don't think he was great. And again, I don't think that Scotty Lewis was great last year. So it's not like that was an aberration. So, uh, I, I will say, I do think that if I had to say like, who was the worst defensive player that, that got significant minutes, uh, I do think the worst defender was Tyree Appleby. And I think that that w- is going to be maybe a bit of an issue as, as the Gators play, right. um, d- depending on the matchup. But, uh, uh, again, if you're surrounding him with, with some, you know, better defenders, um, if he's uh, making up for it offensively, which he's going to on some nights, it's going to be less of a problem, but I, I will say through two games, um, I, I do think that Tyree Appleby's defense was, uh, was a little bit of a problem. There you go. Uh, so we just answered all six of those questions. We will now preview the Stetson Hatters, who the Gators will play in their home opener on Sunday afternoon. The Hatters out of the Atlantic Sun Conference. Familiar face is the head coach, Donnie Jones, longtime assistant Billy Donovan. Uh, Donnie's been a head coach at a couple stops now and, and really took a Stetson team that I think was terrible and and rallied them to a fourth place finish in the uh, Atlantic Sun last year in a a very competitive team that that could have won more than the nine conference games that they won uh, in the A Sun. But I think if you're a Stetson fan, you're probably a little concerned with with the season opener, aren't you, Eric? <laughs> Uh, yeah, you uh, you always hate to see a team uh, lose to non-division one opponents, and uh, that was uh, that was Stetson who uh, not only lost but uh, to Emmanuel, but uh, uh, were losing for most of the game. Really, uh, this was not like uh, this was not a situation where uh, you know where a team lost out in, in the, the the final minutes. Uh, yeah, this uh, this team Emmanuel, this division two team was was really taken to him for most of the game, yeah. and uh, for that reason, uh, ooh man, if Florida plays like they did against Boston College, uh, things could get interesting. So uh, it really could. I will tell you that I don't even know if Florida's necessarily going to play. Um, how about that for, for kind of a hot take? Uh, you know, Miami was supposed to play Stetson tonight. Um, and a member of Stetson's basketball team tested positive for for COVID. I guess that was going to be an early game. This is a rescheduled game that that, that Miami Stetson has been rescheduled tonight. So um, is Stetson okay now? Had they 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 came off pause. I guess the point I'm making is they were they were paused for a bit. They played a manual coming off pause, off a of COVID pause, Eric. Which does that necessarily is that why were they rusty? They didn't Donnie Jones said they couldn't practice much. 
these are all things that that Florida was talking about after the Army game that the fan base at Florida was not particularly receptive to. Um, we'll see. As long as Stetson and Miami lace it up tonight, though, and it hasn't been canceled so far and is scheduled to tip in two and a half hours, I would say it's safe to assume that their game with the Gators will be on. But they did have one more uh, COVID test, I guess, after their game with Emmanuel. Um, and so they've been able to contact trace that and are still scheduled to play Miami tonight so that everybody is aware uh, they're hoping to not have to postpone the game with Miami for the second time. This was already postponed once. It was originally scheduled to be Stetson's season opener. Um, Back to more serious things, Eric. Uh, Does Stetson have any outstanding players? Well, uh, we all know that, um, you know, anybody that that knows anything about the pod knows that uh, they've got a couple guys who who are Fort Lauderdale high school basketball kids. Uh, One uh, in Chase Johnston is the all-time national high school three-point leader uh and he almost shot the uh hatters back into the game with emmanuel but missed a three uh to tie johnson is a a 6-2 freshman went to purdue fort wayne first and then transferred uh got homesick and and transferred made 546 three-pointers uh in high school um in case anybody wanted to know and and uh helped westminster win uh some some state championships down there so uh He's he's a heck of a player. He's a guy that that can really shoot, um, but he's he's certainly you know a really young guy to rely on as your big scorer. I really think that their best players are their uh, sophomore duo of of Rob Perry, who averaged 15 points and, and five rebounds last year, shot 43 percent from three point range, 46 percent in Atlantic Sun play. He can really shoot, and then uh, Mamadou Diawara. Uh, is is another guy that that can score, um, and that Donnie Jones is is very high on, and and he said, uh, you know, they were as good as any two freshmen he had coached in a long time, which is which is high praise for Donnie, who's been around some good players. Yeah, the Stetson is super young. You just look up and down the roster; it's freshmen and freshmen and sophomores and sophomores. And uh, their one their one senior was hardly in the game against Emmanuel. Uh, Dior was going to be the first, you know, really good big play, uh, big man that the Gators have played against. Yeah, uh, he's, yeah, it's six foot ten, two hundred fifty pounds. Uh, had some like really just like physical shot blocks against Emmanuel, where like they took it into his body, and then he they just like bounced off him and still like threw up an awkward shot, and he swung wanted it uh just looked like a man amongst boys uh and uh had a bunch of rebounds he had 14 rebounds in that game as well uh i remember uh the one thing that i would say would be maybe most notable about the way uh, the way that they play is that uh, they also with dor in the middle of it played like the entire game in a 2-3 zone so we'll see if uh <laughs> when you play 2-3 zone for an entire game against a division 2 opponent and lose Maybe you switch it up before you go play Florida. Maybe. I, I don't know. Uh, but definitely like to uh, like to play some zone. And I thought Boston College was going to play more zone. Uh, so maybe uh, you know, I, was, I was wrong there when I was like, oh, Florida's going to have to play against their zone a whole bunch. Uh, but we'll see what Emmanuel comes out in. Or sorry, what Emmanuel. Maybe the Gators should try to play Emmanuel if Stetson cancels. Um, but no, uh, we'll, we'll, see what, we'll see what Stetson plays yeah. defensively. But uh, I, I would expect that they yeah try to play some zone and put DOR in the middle of it and then try to cover up some mistakes. So what I would, yeah, I think that's true. And I do think Donnie's going to keep playing zone based on just having a young team and, and uh, based on kind of their size. 
Uh, I, I don't know if it's if it's the worst idea, but but again, maybe maybe it is a bad idea given what happened against Emmanuel. Um, you know, he talked about them just having freshmen up and down the roster. They do seem like they that at least last year they played very hard um, for Donnie Jones. So it seems like it's going to be this is a team that's going to grow. But but Florida's getting them when they're babies. Um, but in terms of their starting five, like you can play zone when you've got guys like jo- Joel uh, Kabimba at six eight. You've got guys like uh, Josh Smith, another one of their freshmen last year, who who um, is six eight. Uh, he, or sorry, he's one of their 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 recruits. It was the highest rated recruiting class that Stetson had ever signed. Uh, they've got uh, a kid named Wesa Ponzo who's six seven. So you're getting the point here. Like these are that's the kind of length you can play that two three with. Might be what Donnie's thinking, and maybe he's thinking, you know, look, we're gonna try it. And I don't know how much zone they played last year. Maybe Eric has those numbers, but maybe they thought roster wise that makes sense. Another freshman they have that I'm familiar with uh, is Chase is. Uh, uh, Westminster teammate Steven Swenson is uh, another one of the freshmen, and and he's a really really good defender, um, and and will will be probably the point guard for them by the end of the season, uh, and and another guy that comes from a good background, played at Westminster, some decent coaches there, at least in my opinion, Eric, and <laughs> um and won some state championships. So uh, I, I don't know, like look, this is not a game that like Florida could really run them out of the building and probably should. Uh, but I think don't be surprised if in like two years Stetson wins the a son and you're like, Oh, I remember when Florida clobbered all those guys. Yeah. With seeing how young they are, if they can keep some of those guys around, uh, yeah, they'll, they, they should definitely be, uh, be a lot better than the team that lost to a division two team. Uh, <laughs> what is, what is one, uh, what is one thing like that you're looking for from the Gators? Like what is your what, entering this game, uh, where you think that the Gators are probably going to win comfortably? Uh, what are you looking for from the Gators? So I think you, you, you touched on it earlier. Like, so you touched on the fact that they're going to be challenged by an effective big, uh, the best big that they had. Like, let's see if Florida's front core productivity, let's see how Colin Castleton and Omar Payne respond to that challenge. And I'll give you a bonus one. Uh, for a team that really prides itself on running people off a three-point line, um, maybe not the greatest start on three-point defense. Uh, for, for Florida, I think they'll be challenged by Rob Perry and Chase Johnson uh, a little bit. And you just don't want to let those guys have free looks at the basket. Yeah, here's a uh, here's a wild stat about Florida's um, three point defense. So they have given up almost uh, the identical uh, the identical number of catch and shoot attempts uh, twenty and twenty guarded that they've closely guarded and nineteen that have been wide open. Uh, the unguarded attempts that Florida has given up, uh, their opponents hit twenty one percent of them, and the ones that Florida has closely guarded, their opponents have hit fifty percent of them. Wow! So you've got a little bit of reverse splits here where. Uh, the Gators have uh, actually not gotten punished for gi- giving up open threes, um, but have had some bad luck when they've contested threes and they've gone in. Um, but uh, that's actually a number that's, uh, uh, you know, again, small sample size. We'll see what goes on moving forward. Uh, but giving up 50% of your opponent's catch and shoot shots as as wide open, unguarded, uh, that's pretty bad. So uh, I, again, if you give a bunch of uh, open three-point looks to this team, uh, that, as Neil mentioned, that has some guys who can, who can stroke it, uh, yeah, they might get stung. Yeah, no, I think um, I think you're right. And so, anything on your end that that you're thinking, uh, 
you know, you, you want to say? Well, I think that at this point of the season, we're still just looking for our, like individual players. What can they bring? What are their skill sets? And man, I'm looking at Anthony Deruji and just wondering, uh, wondering if he's better than what we've seen. And and if so, I think he's got to prove it pretty quick because, uh, you know, Osai Osifu is coming back and uh, he might be taking those minutes away from Deruji if he doesn't play better. So uh, Deruji took some bad shots. Uh, had some uncomfortable moments dribbling the basketball. Uh, I, I want to see some better play from him. Uh, you've, got, you've got to think that guys are going to get uh, right up and down the bench are going to be able to get some good run in this game. So I'm kind of just looking for for individual players like uh, who can continue to establish a role, carve out a role. And and right now the biggest question marks Daruji. So he's someone that I uh, <laughs> that I'll I'll be watching closely. I like it. So that's your uh, your show. We'll be back to preview. Uh, Who's next? Florida State. Florida State. Florida State's next. So uh, I, I was thinking about that when uh, when you were saying that you know Stetson might uh, might not be able to play this game. Uh, man, I don't know if the Gators want to sit idle for an entire week plus before they play Florida State. So if they can, uh, I don't know if they want to try to find an opponent during this week. I, I'm guessing there's a reason they left the week open academically or something. So maybe it wouldn't work. But uh, but yeah, Florida State's upcoming. That'll be a fun podcast leading up. But uh, Neil, yeah. I actually do have one more question for you. We're recording okay. this on Friday. Um, tomorrow on Saturday is going to be one of the most hyped uh, games in uh, the last little while in college basketball. It's uh, Gonzaga taking on Baylor. Who do you think wins? So I'm going with Gonzaga just because like they're just so so good on offense. And you know I know that the long-standing rumor about Baylor is that it's tough to play against that zone, but. Um, you know, Florida has a little bit of a secret weapon in Andrew Nimhart, who's seen it just even a year ago. And, um, I think that's valuable. I love the way that, that Andrew has played and I'm just going, I'm going on gut, but I think that, uh, as good as Baylor is, and maybe this is a, a game that gets replayed and in, in the bubble in Indianapolis, but right now, uh, I like the Zags. Like, I, I really think like, if you look at Gonzaga's schedule, Eric, this is maybe the last chance that they have genuinely to lose a game. <laughs> uh, no, that is, uh, that is definitely the, uh, the case. I mean, if you even just, I think if you look at the, uh, the Ken Palm predictions um, after this game, I think, well, they play Iowa. Double, I, I think that they're, uh, Oh yeah. Well, I th- actually, okay. Well, the other day, um, I think it was before the West Virginia game, but I think that they were a 10 point Ken Palm favorite over Iowa, who also oh. before I, Iowa killed whoever they, they did. Yeah. Um, okay, I just looked it up now. They're a six-point favorite over over Iowa. But other than that, man, they're just looking at a whole bunch of uh, whole bunch of wins. Um, they're after they play Baylor, they're going to play Tarleton State, um, and I hope that they just hammer and embarrass Billy Gillespie. We don't need to talk about that, but I I hope it is two hundred to zero. Um, and uh, but you know what? I am actually going to go Baylor in this game. I I think Baylor's going to win. I think that Gonzaga is like one tier above Baylor um, offensively. But I think that Baylor might be like two tiers ahead of Gonzaga defensively. Okay. And I think that could be the edge. So uh, um, it's going to be a fun one. So I had to see who you would think would, would win. But uh, yeah, going to be a super fun one. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, it, Baylor or, I, or Luca Garza, that's all that really stands between Gonzaga and being undefeated at the NCAA tournament, in my opinion. So pretty wild uh, to, to think about that. Um, but that'll be a fun one to watch. And we'll be back tomorrow.